It's a very, very big year as far as I'm concerned for hydrogen and CCS. Hydrogen is the answer to how we get to the full, the full zero emissions that we'll need probably by in the mid-2040s in, in electricity production. We need hydrogen just as much as we need electricity to decarbonise these hard-to-abate sectors. Hydrogen fundamentally is an energy carrier. So by being an energy carrier, it allows different industries to be blended together. We're now in the hydrogen era, and it really does feel like we are in the hydrogen era. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and in this episode, we're working with consultant Mott McDonald to explore how the lightest element in the periodic table could be the answer to the world's most weighty challenge. But why are we interested in hydrogen? Well, it's uh, the most abundant element in the universe. There's lots of it. This is Ian Clark. He's the global sector lead for energy at Mott McDonald. And you've just heard him speaking at that recent Hydrogen Reality Why Now conference in London. As well as hydrogen being so abundant, Ian explains it's extremely energy dense, making it a valuable fuel source. In fact, hydrogen's the key to the sun's incredible power. It's got the highest energy content by combustion of common fuels by mass. It sounds like hydrogen should be the ideal source of power and heat. So why aren't we all using it? The difficulty that we have with hydrogen, that it has to be synthesized or extracted from its compounds, one of the disadvantages, is a very flexible um, gas. It serves as an energy transport and potential storage, but it also comes with challenges, lighter than air, uh, the flammability points, etc. There are a few technical challenges as how we might store and, and transport it. It's very clean, uh, particularly in combustion. It's got very environmentally friendly byproducts, typically water vapour, which is clearly an advantage. Simply, it's been easier to build our energy systems around hydrocarbons. But the benefits of hydrogen's clean combustion its flexibility and its ability to connect energy sources with a multitude of end users are starting to tip the scales. As global efforts to combat climate change accelerate and decarbonisation becomes more urgent, hydrogen looks increasingly attractive. In our report, there's really a call to arms for two things. One is a very deep electrification of the economy and the second is a move to hydrogen. And without both um, we are very unlikely to get to net zero in the UK. This is the chief executive of the Committee on Climate Change, Chris Stark. Getting to net zero is the focus of a report produced at the request of government in May, recommending that the UK should make its long-term emission targets radically more ambitious. This is with the aim of keeping the global temperature within 2 degrees centigrade of the pre-industrial average. And if you want to know more about that, listen to episode 17. The committee says the UK should commit to being a net zero emitter of greenhouse gases by 2050. Net zero. No emissions. Electricity production and fuel for our vehicles, homes, businesses and industry are very significant sources of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. To totally eliminate them all calls for some very big changes to the way that our energy system works. And change is afoot. Governments made huge commitments over the, over the last year, some of which we haven't noticed because we've been talking about Brexit too much. Um, we've had that commitment to offshore wind, 30 gigawatts by 2030. The spring statement, you might have missed it, but the Chancellor banned gas boilers from new builds 
uh, by 2025. We've seen the first steps towards what I think is a genuine pussy towards CCS and hydrogen. We've had the school climate strikes. David Attenborough did a documentary, um, Extinction Rebellion being in the streets. We've had, I don't know, 12 days now, I think we're up to possibly 13 without coal on the, on the electricity system. We've had various climate emergencies whatever that means, you know, called all around the country. I mean, I could go on with this list for a very long time. It does feel like something is shifting on the topic of climate change. Only very rarely does a true paradigm shift occur, but one is required in the energy sector, and hydrogen could be the key to achieving it. Hydrogen is the answer to how we get to the full, the full zero emissions that we'll need probably by in the mid-2040s in, in electricity production as we convert and fuel switch OG, um, uh, CCGTs and OGCTs uh, to zero emissions and using hydrogen. Um, we must now have a proper strategy for carbon capture and storage. That is a necessity. It's not a nice to have. And of course, the link there is with hydrogen supply. And we still see that the majority of hydrogen that the UK will use will come from natural gas with SMRs. In exploring hydrogen's potential in the energy system, there's a lot of terms we need to understand, like CCGT and OCGT, which is closed and open cycle gas turbines, by the way. To bust the jargon, we need someone who knows all about hydrogen. Okay, my name is Chris Beer. I'm an energy storage specialist within Mark McDonald. My research and development background is in hydrogen fuel cell technology, so I spent close to a decade developing these systems from the ground up, really looking at the catalyst development. Up to what we refer to as the In making this episode, Chris was basically our Google for the world of hydrogen. And whenever we came across a complex terminology or concept, we called on Chris to explain. Starting with steam methane reforming, SMR. Steam methane reforming is the basic and the oldest type of hydrogen production technology available. It's heavily used in industry. So basic concept is you take methane or hydrocarbon, you run it through a methane or a steam methane reforming cycle, which consists of a catalyst bed, where you basically crack the, the, the hydrocarbon into hydrogen and carbon dioxide effectively. These days they use a carbon capture back in on the systems to try and reclaim some of the, the carbon emissions to reduce the emissions really. And this is crucial because although combustion of hydrogen to make electricity is carbon free, production of hydrogen through steam methane reformation is not. SMR enables the hydrogen to be taken off as a clean fuel while the carbon dioxide is compressed and pumped deep underground into depleted oil or gas fields for permanent storage. Looking ahead, there are other technologies that can be used to create fossil fuel and carbon-free hydrogen, such as electrolysis. Electrolysis is what we refer to as the mechanism for splitting water into its constituent elements, which is really hydrogen and oxygen. Two molecules of hydrogen, one on one molecule of oxygen, which is H2O effectively, which is water, the most abundant resource we have on the planet. The way this process happens is you take electricity and you run it through a uh, a cell. It can be either a, a, a polymer electrolyte membrane cell or an al alkaline cell. There are various technologies. And what it basically does, it enforces the electrochemical reaction whereby you take the electricity which comes in, water that comes in as, a, as, as the reactant, and then you split it into hydrogen and into oxygen. Right now, the problem lies with the supply of electricity to power the electrolysis process. More than a third of UK electricity is produced using fossil fuels, so hydrogen produced this way can't claim to be carbon-free right now. And then there's the simple issue of there being enough electricity to scale up production. There's not. Electrolysis is also more expensive than SMR. 
Arnaud Deleneau is Business Development Manager for Renewable Hydrogen at hydrogen production company Hydrogenics, which has made over 500 electrolyzers. He explains the cost considerations. Because the main driver of hydrogen produced by electrolysis is the power uh, cost. And the power cost, if you have 20 uh, euros or 20 pounds per megawatt hour, that uh, results with the efficiency of conversion into one euro per kilogram. So that means if, we have, uh, if you pay 10 cents per kilowatt hour, that would result in five euros per kilogram just in power costs. So we need cheap renewable electricity in order to produce cheap renewable hydrogen. Another term for cheap renewable hydrogen is green hydrogen. Green hydrogen refers to the production of hydrogen from renewables. So that is where the argument to, uh, towards net zero comes into play. It means net zero carbon. You're not making use of any, any materials that either has embedded carbon in it or produces carbon as part of the process. Uh, so effectively, you, you eliminate it completely. So if you think about it, you can harness uh, solar power using solar photovoltaics, you generate electrical energy, which theoretically is green. You run it through a, an electrolysis process, which is green, and you produce green hydrogen. This ability to convert solar, wind, hydro or tidal energy into hydrogen and then convert it to heat or electricity is key to hydrogen's ultimate potential as a transformational part in a net zero energy system. Hydrogen provides the ability to store energy and transport it, overcoming the current challenge of maintaining a steady, reliable supply of electricity when weather conditions result in a production shortfall from renewables. Because of this, it's commonly referred to as an energy vector. An energy vector basically is a transportation mechanism. So if you think about energy at its core, you've got electrons. Electrons need to be bound to something. So in this case, it's bound to molecules in a molecular form, which in this case is hydrogen. And hydrogen can be produced by various forms. So we take energy in one form or another, which is either solar or wind, we convert it to electrical energy, and then we transform it into another mechanism, carrier mechanism, which we refer, which we refer to as an energy vector. And in this case, it's hydrogen specifically. You can convert it to electricity using electrochemical fuel cells or by using it as a fuel cell in a gas turbine, not much different from today's CCGTs. You can also use hydrogen to power vehicles, again using fuel cell technology or through direct combustion. It's compatible with today's energy system and could also pave the way to tomorrow's. Faiz Sali is the oil and gas practice leader at Mott McDonald. He's in no doubt that the green hydrogen model will be used to create decarbonised power systems. It's probably the key area where everybody is concentrating because it gives you immediate decarbonisation and immediate value as such. Some of the major projects here are the wind gas project in Falkenhagen in Germany, uh, the high stock in the Netherlands, and then in Europe there are around 45 power to gas projects in development at this point in time. The challenge, he says, is about ensuring that industry can collaborate to scale up these technically feasible projects and that the end users are being connected with the producers. And this brings us on to one of the key challenges, transportation and customer supply. It's not possible to simply put pure hydrogen through the existing natural gas supply pipelines. The actual pipelines, many pipelines can be prone to stress corrosion or stress cracking, 
And this is due to hydrogen basically embrittlement of the pipelines. Hydrogen embrittlement really refers to the interaction of hydrogen molecules with conventional metallic elements, such as steel. So over the long term, uh, the interaction between the molecules for causes embrittlement. So you get cracking in the pipes, which obviously causes a leakage, which is of a huge concern to the, to the industry. So what they're currently looking at is uh, trying to ascertain the maximum concentration of hydrogen within, for example, a natural gas pipe stream. But to give this some historic perspective, until the 1960s, most of the gas supplied to domestic and industrial users was produced from coal and contained about 20% hydrogen by volume. Natural gas, which is what we use in our homes, power plants and factories today, contains no hydrogen. But there's recent historic precedent for safely putting hydrogen into the gas for energy mix. And seasoned gas pipeline engineers will tell you that the 350 to 700 bar operating pressure of gas transmission and distribution networks is relatively low. Cracking due to embrittlement is an issue, they say, but not a barrier. From a, an in the industry point of view, we've we're very familiar with the risks associated with hydrogen and the gas industry has been looking at uh, measures and putting measures, safety measures in place uh, for, for managing the, the risks associated with these different materials and gases. So uh, in saying that, yes, there are additional risks that probably come into play with hydrogen, especially rolling it out in mass scale. Uh, the flammability and, and the ignition point is much lower than, for example, uh, natural gas. You also need to run it at or store it at very high pressures if you want to store significant quantities of it. So that needs to be taken into account. Stepping down pressure between storage and distribution is standard practice in the energy sector. Getting hydrogen from the point of production to the point of consumption sounds like adaptation rather than revolution. How does Hydrogenics, a company that has been producing hydrogen for 70 years, manage that risk? We're, we're dealing with many other gases um, all across the different industries, so why not hydrogen? We have been developing high redundant systems, safety equipments, uh, overpressurized rooms and um, zones where, with hydrogen. Um, and we have very strong and accurate measurements which are redundant and allow us to um, detect hydrogen presence much before we are going in entering a um, explosive a mixture with air. And hydrogen does not explode uh, itself, it needs uh, an oxidant. Redundancy is engineering shorthand for a large safety margin. Arnaud says that standards and safety equipment requirements vary around the world, but all understand and address risk effectively. And while hydrogen's not yet the backbone of clean energy systems, it is a staple part of huge global industries such as fertiliser production. But for hydrogen to become a transformative part of a zero-carbon energy system, experts say we need more projects to prove and scale up the technology and get costs down. This is something that Andy Lewis of UK gas distribution network company Cadent knows all about. As a transmission company, Cadent wants to know exactly how much hydrogen it can safely blend into the existing gas network without risking hydrogen embrittlement or forcing customers to change their behaviour. High Deploy is a project that's being hosted by Kiel University. Cadent is leading the project along with um, our project partners. As we're trying to prove that uh, a hydrogen blend, 20% volume or 7% energy, can be injected into a working gas network and that will require basically no change from the customer. The hydrogen can be accepted by their boilers, the commercial applications, and they won't have to go switching out any of their boilers or, or changing any of their habits. So more or less they're decarbonizing 
um, by making no change. Right now, the project team are using an electrolyzer in order to begin injecting hydrogen into Keele University's gas grid this September, and two more trials into other gas grids in the north of England will take place next year. At the same time, Cadent is also seeking funding from the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund for a project to produce hydrogen from gas using a process called autothermal reforming, combined with carbon capture and storage. The project is called HiNet and it will prevent a million tonnes of carbon being released into the atmosphere every year. So what makes HiNet possible is the fact that we've got offshore fields in the East Irish Sea that are due to be decommissioned and they're due to be decommissioned in the early 2020s. So we're looking to repurpose them to hold CO2. And if we do that, then we can have a large um, hydrogen production facility on the southern banks of the Mersey. And then we can supply a huge quantity of hydrogen to industry, a blend into our network, and then also to transport. The CO2 byproduct from the autothermal reforming process will be captured. Andy says the existing pipelines connecting to the Hamilton and Lennox gas fields in Liverpool Bay will serve to get the carbon dioxide offshore. Meanwhile, a new 109-kilometre-long transmission system, made from 18 to 24-inch diameter high-strength steel, will provide industrial users with hydrogen in place of natural gas. For domestic gas customers, HiNet will blend hydrogen with natural gas, building on the work done in the High Deploy project. Andy estimates around 2 million customers could benefit. Having taken the project through feasibility and into preliminary design, the next stage is front-end engineering design or feed stage. A final investment decision will be made in 2022. If this is positive, deployment is planned for 2025. Although the government has initiated carbon capture and storage projects over the last decade and more, HiNet will be the first CCS project to make it off the drawing board. Chris Stock, who you heard earlier in this episode, laments the UK's failure to lead in the development of wind power technology 10 to 20 years ago, with the result that we're now importing equipment from abroad. As the hydrogen and CCS industries emerge, he urges the nation do things differently this time and become a world leader and exporter of know-how and technology. And this is a message that Andy endorses. There are a number of schemes planned in this space and he urges government to support them to kickstart the industry and build UK expertise. At the moment, you know, with hydrogen and CCS, if the UK does this, we can start exporting that skill set to other parts of the world. You know, other parts of the world are thinking about doing this as well. And, you know, it's time critical. If we don't sort of jump on it now and start to develop the skills, which we have inherently because of the industries we've got, um, you know, we'll miss the boat. Andy's not the only one that would like to see more direction from government. Ofgem do a good job, obviously we, we've fallen in line with the NIA and IC funding and that is assisting us as, as we understand our, our transmission network for hydrogen. This is Stuart Gregg of National Grid. He says that energy regulator Ofgem's approved funding schemes enable his company to fund research into a transmission network for hydrogen. However, the industry is fragmented, with several companies and organisations undertaking research in isolation. What I would like to see is a task force in place that collects and collates all this great information, prevents duplication, prevents waste of time, prevents waste of money, and then we can introduce a hydrogen economy at the right price for the customer. Stuart's suggestion of a UK hydrogen task force and Andy's comment on the need to act now or lose out to international competitors raises questions about global progress on hydrogen. This is something that Zeynep Kerban, a hydrogen consultant at the International Energy Agency, knows all about. 
an IEA report published in June called Global Potential for Hydrogen is a cross-agency study reviewed by over 150 experts for the G20 presidency. Zainab notes that in the UK there's a lack of clarity over the government's position on hydrogen. But globally, countries like China, Japan and South Korea have actually developed hydrogen strategies and um, they have very ambitious targets for uh, the use of hydrogen across the energy system. One of the strategies the report considers is how to bring down costs. It proposes building clusters around industrial hubs and gas import and export terminals where existing infrastructure can be converted. It also anticipates the ongoing growth of renewables to the point where there's more electricity being generated from wind and solar sources than there is demand from users, and this surplus could be used to produce hydrogen. Mott McDonald's energy economist Guy Doyle points to another opportunity to make hydrogen cost competitive using stranded renewables. So what do I mean by stranded renewable energy? I mean energy, renewable energy that is away from the main markets and is ultra low cost. So here we're looking at solar in the desert, you know, the best wind sites. Then you electrolyze it and then you bring it through the logistics chain. And in this case, the critical thing is you need to rely on the hydrogen carrier to get it there. A carrier is a means of getting energy from one point to another. The cost of building high-voltage transmission lines from stranded renewable power installations in remote locations to cities and industrial complexes would be vast. Combined with energy losses from resistance within the lines, the economics don't stack up. But converting renewable energy to hydrogen at or close to the point of production, then transporting it using pipelines, ships, trucks, much as natural gas is now, that could be more affordable. Stranded renewables provide the means of creating very large quantities of green hydrogen on the scale needed to replace fossil fuels at competitive prices. The other key to making hydrogen economic is to sell it into the right market. One such is industrial process heat, where demand is high and constant. But Guy sees even greater potential in another area. Backup power. Hydrogen sort of uh, is the natural winner in, in the area of long-duration Uh, long-duration storage and backup for a low-carbon world. Backup storage safeguards against exceptionally cold weather when people want more heat, against calm days in midwinter when wind power output dies away, and against those moments when electricity demand surges at half-time during the World Cup, for example. As fans reach into fridges for cold beers or turn the kettle on for a cup of tea, extra load on the grid can be anywhere from 500 megawatts to a record 2.3 gigawatts in the UK. Natural gas has cornered the backup market. Those old enough to remember the British gas advertising campaign of the late 80s will know. It's easily turn on and offable. Hydrogen is equally so. The other big market for hydrogen is transport. Like electric vehicles, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles have become attractive to cities like London that are seeking to improve air quality. Since introducing hydrogen fuel cell buses in 2011 on the Covent Garden to Tower Bridge route, over a million miles have been driven and the fuel cell modules are achieving over 20,000 operating hours. Transport for London is committed to making all new single-deck buses zero emission by 2020 and all double-deck buses zero emission by 2037. In 2020, the world's first hydrogen double-decker buses will arrive in London, 20 of them. They can store more energy than a battery-powered bus, making them more suitable for longer routes. And charging a bus with hydrogen takes only five minutes, which is less time in the garage and more time on the road. 
This is a major advantage that fuel cells have over battery electric vehicles. For our industry, our sector, the hydrogen is preferable because you get a much quicker refueling time, which is comparable to pulling up at a petrol station, two to three minutes. And the range that you get is 250 to 300 miles. With electric, unless you're operating a fleet of 100,000 pound Teslas, you're looking at many minutes or even a couple of hours to, to charge a tank. And that tank, uh, that battery rather, might only give you 100 to 120 miles, which just isn't adequate for, for our industry. This is Johnny Goldstone, founder of Green Tomato Cars. Green Tomato Cars is an environmentally friendly corporate car service um, based in London. It began operations in 2006 with a fleet of hybrid Toyota Prius cars. And in 2015, it added two hydrogen fueled Toyota Mirai. So we ran two vehicles from 2015 as a normal part of our operating fleet, um, much in the same way with the Prius, but actually even more so most people had never even heard of the technology, let alone been in one of the cars. Um, and so, again, we built up a really strong following and an interest in what we were doing uh, over the two years that we were trialing that before we got to a stage that we were prepared to add to those initial two cars, uh, which we did uh, in 2018. Green Tomato has now invested in 25 Toyota Mirai, and it's seeking to double this number over the next few months. One of the key factors in whether or not the company could expand its operations was around the refuelling infrastructure. At the moment around London, there is a handful of hydrogen refuelling stations. Uh, The range of the cars on a full uh, tank is around 250 to 300 miles. Our cars average 100 to 120 miles a day. So even if you're running them almost down to zero, down to empty, you'd be refuelling every two days. Of course, in practice, because there aren't refueling stations all over the place and therefore you get a bit of anxiety, actually drivers are typically looking to refuel once they get round about 100 to 80 miles left in the tank. So in reality, they're probably refueling every day. We're now at a stage where there's a sufficient level of infrastructure, we believe, to take on additional vehicles. We've seen that infrastructure improve. We know that we can operate 25 vehicles comfortably and we now believe we can operate a much higher number comfortably. And we're now at the stage where the the infrastructure partners need to see the demand increasing before they will then look at putting in more infrastructure to uh, satisfy more demand. So hopefully it's a bit like a snowball that we started to get some momentum. We need to that ball needs to get bigger. In terms of technology development and adoption, hydrogen fueled transport appears to be moving ahead more quickly than electricity and heat markets. A key issue that has to be overcome is the very basic one of price. Right now, the cost of hydrogen as an energy source is substantially higher than the market cost of electricity, which, including transmission, sits somewhere between 8 and 12 pence per kilowatt hour. However, Mott McDonald's Guy Doyle thinks this is going to change soon. Looking a few years into the future, he says it's likely that renewables will dominate power production, certainly in the UK. And when the sun's shining and wind blowing, renewables already produce more electricity than the grid can absorb, and generators pay a penalty for that. As output rises, the price they're paid for supply falls away to nothing, and they can enter the realm of negative pricing, where they're actually fined for the excess. Guy says that producing hydrogen using zero-cost renewable energy brings price parity with electricity within reach. 
convinced of its potential to replace fossil fuels for power, heat, transport and energy storage, major organisations in the industry are developing projects to test out the technology and take it to the next level. There are exciting new innovations too that have the potential to dramatically increase supply and reduce cost. At Stanford University in California, researchers recently produced hydrogen through electrolysis of seawater, while a team from the University of Exeter in the UK have developed and tested a direct sunlight to hydrogen hydrolysis technology. But to develop at pace and scale directions needed from government, which has so far failed to set out a strategy for hydrogen. Energy transformation in the past has required government support through policy levers like the Renewables Obligation and the creation of the Gas Council, which drove the £500 million switchover from town gas to natural gas in the late 1960s. For hydrogen to fulfil its potential, similar leadership is needed now, because rapid action is required for the UK to meet its obligations to the Paris Climate Agreement. A hydrogen-based energy system would improve air quality, Applied to transport, there'd be a particular benefit for public health in cities. Any industry transformation creates employment. Per megawatt, the renewable energy sector provides more well-paid jobs than coal or gas generation, according to the International Energy Agency. Hydrogen harnessed to expand renewables would be expected to create many more. And then there's the huge export potential. Proven, cost-effective and market-ready hydrogen energy solutions will be in demand internationally as other nations respond to the same climate, health and socio-economic drivers. As we've heard, hydrogen is compatible with today's fossil fuel energy system. The pioneers are using existing infrastructure to develop the first commercial hydrogen energy projects. That compatibility enables the industry to change through evolution building capacity and infrastructure over the course of years, in step with strategic horizons, investment planning and asset management cycles. Here's Chris Stark again. Hydrogen is the answer to how we get to the full, the full zero emissions that we'll need probably by in the mid-2040s in, in electricity production. With the benefit of a task force to provide integration and coordination and a clear steer and policy guidance from government, a hydrogen energy system is within reach and the industry is raring to go. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne, produced by John Young, and edited by Andrew Melius. Special thanks to Mott McDonald and speakers at the Hydrogen Reality event, who came from the Committee on Climate Change, Cadent, NG, Hydrogen London, Hydrogenics, Imperial College London, Ofgem, National Grid, Toyota and Vattenfall. Also thanks to the International Energy Agency and Green Tomato Cars. Rory Harris is the executive hydrogen producer. If you like this podcast, please leave us a comment or review on your podcast app, which really helps others to hear about us, or simply tell a friend to have a listen. Engineering Matters can be found on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. We're also on Facebook, Reddit and LinkedIn, and you can follow us on Twitter at Engineer Matters. <laughs>